Thank you very much. Hey, good morning. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. We are in the middle of a three-month journey through the New Testament. If this is your first Sunday with us, welcome. Uh, we're glad you are here. It's not too late to start reading through the New Testament with us. Today we're reading through uh, the middle part of the book of Acts, chapters 13 through 16. That's some really good stuff. It's the first missionary journey, and it's the Jerusalem Council. And I just, I'd encourage you to grab a reading plan at the Welcome Center and dive in with us. We'd love to have you join us. I want to let you know about a couple things that are happening in the life of our church before we dive into Acts chapter 12. Families at First is back. We had a record turnout Wednesday night for the adult Bible study. I want to say thank you to Kent Hickerson. He's in the back. He kind of was going solo this week. Jim, Ernie, Adam, and myself went to a young leaders conference in Atlanta called Catalyst, and that was awesome. And Kent uh, stayed behind, and, and I really appreciate you teaching, Kent. Thank you very much. Over 100 adults took place. So come on back Wednesday night. We're going to be journeying through the New Testament um, one story at a time. The men's retreat at Little Galilee happens in a week and a half. And again, if you want to attend and you're a man, we'd love to have you come. We'll even pay half. So if you need more information, see myself or you can call Little Galilee directly. And I am still blogging every day. I did miss Friday. I tried to catch up yesterday. But check out the blog at www.gregtaylorfcc.wordpress.com. That's a mouthful right there. Okay, also, we probably don't do um, the job that we should do. I, let me back that up. I don't do the job that I should do promoting Sunday school classes and opportunities that you have. We talk a lot about being in the Word, and I don't spend a lot of time letting you know the different options that are available. So I talked to Larry Roberts this morning. Larry teaches a class. It's an awesome class that meets in the basement. If you don't know where to go, see Larry or Kim, and they'll, they'll get you pointed in the right direction. But they're starting a brand new study today called Guardrails. It's a study by Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is one of my favorite preachers. I listen to his podcast all the time. You will be blessed. If uh, you want to look at the New Testament overview, if you're really into the 75 days through the New Testament, I'm leading a New Testament overview class. Today we're going to try to study the book of Acts in 60 minutes. Good luck with that, but we're going to try to do it. That'll be in the Fellowship Hall and the Faith Builders and Lord Led Lady, Ladies classes are there, but you are welcome. So that's Sunday school. Big idea today. The big idea is this. God is in control. Say that with me. God is in control. One more time. God is in control. When life is good, when life is bad, when the Illini are 6-0, when the Cubs only win 70 games, God is in control. Now, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I think for many of us, intellectually, we would say absolutely yes, God is in control. But if we were really being honest, if we weren't playing the whole church game and playing the whole everything is fine game, we would say at times, we're not so sure we really believe that's the case. Maybe it's because we see things like uh, tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes that, that devastate places like Japan or Joplin, Missouri or Alabama. And we're saying God is in control, but in our heart we're kind of whispering, is, is he really in control? Or maybe we face a, a personal crisis of some sort. Maybe, maybe we hear the big C word, cancer. 
Or maybe we find ourselves facing the big D word, divorce. Or maybe our children are taking us down the big P word, prodigal. And intellectually we're saying God's in control. But our heart's kind of whispering to us. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I think the book of Acts is one of the great unpreached and untaught chapters in the whole book of Acts. The book of Acts is awesome. The book of Acts, I I read from Acts chapter 4. I love Acts chapter 2. I teach a class in church leadership development at Lincoln Christian University. The first night we spend half the time, an hour and a half, just looking at Acts chapter 2. Powerful, powerful book. But what I love about Acts chapter 12 is that it reinforces for me whatever I'm facing, wherever I'm going, whatever's unfolding in my life, God is in control. So let's grab the Bible. I'm going to really try to unfold this text for you with with four big ideas. Before we get to the text, I want to let you know about some of the key players. Peter is the big player. We know about Peter. Peter was Jesus' number one disciple. He's the guy that was walking on water and then started to worry and began to fall. But there's some other people that you need to know about in this chapter that you're going to read about. The first is James. We're going to read about a James. And um, this is kind of where uh, the story begins. It's kind of a tragedy. It's not kind of. It is a tragedy. James was the brother of John, one of the sons of Zebedee. James was in Jesus' inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John, the big triangle. Jesus' three best friends. James is going to be mentioned early in our account. We're also going to read about Herod. Now, who was Herod the Great? You remember Herod the Great? Who was that? That was the guy that tried to kill all the babies after Jesus was born. Okay, that's not the same Herod here. He's long gone. This is Herod Agrippa I, actually the grandson of Herod the Great, and he is the son of another Herod that's mentioned elsewhere in the Gospels, Aristobulus. They had really cool names back in those days, Aristobulus and Agrippa. And, anyway, and then there's another James that we're going to read about later on in this chapter, and it's obviously not the James mentioned in verse 2 because he's dead. It's James, the half-brother of Jesus, James, the leader of the church at Jerusalem, James, the author of the book of James. So with that, let's dive in. Let's look at our story together. And really, the big idea is that Acts 12 reminds us things aren't always like they seem. Things aren't always as they appear to be. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is that God is in control even when bad things happen to God's people. Now some of you thought it was going to say bad things happen to good people. I want to differentiate there. God is in control even when bad things happen to God's people. Um, Let's just be honest. We can't always explain everything that happens. In our world right now, there's a whole bunch of people that, that are trying to figure out how in the world Steve Jobs, the guy that founded Apple, the guy that changed a lot of our world. How many of you have an iPhone or an iPad or a Mac or something that Apple made? I mean, died of cancer at age 56 this week. I mean, he changed our world in many ways, but he couldn't beat cancer. 56. And a lot of people are looking at it saying, that doesn't make sense. You know the big death that took place yesterday in our world? Al Davis owner of the Oakland Raiders. Now, some of you, you could care less about football, but Al Davis, in many ways, changed our world, at least the world of professional sports in many ways. At 82, he he didn't live forever. But, But those are people that many would say are good people. Let's talk about God's people. 
we could probably all name at least one person, probably several people, that we would look at something that happened to them in their life, and we would say, that is not fair. They're living for the Lord. Why are they facing a divorce? They're living for the Lord. Why did they get cancer? They're living for the Lord. Why are their children going down the prodigal pathway? And we might want to say that's not fair when bad things happen to God's people. Well, that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 12. Let's read together the first part of it. Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Luke says, It was about this time that King Herod, that's Herod Agrippa, arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This is a martyr's death. When he saw that this pleased the Jews... He proceeded to seize Peter also. Peter's the leader of the movement at this point. Paul has not risen to prominence yet. He's, he's in, the, in the ballpark. He's in the game. But Peter is still the leader of, of the way, the cause. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put Peter in prison, handing him over to be guarded. Now catch this. By four squads of four soldiers each, Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover, that's a lot of people guarding him. You, you would think that he was some great criminal or that he was some great military leader. I mean, do you remember Peter's one attempt at trying to be a military hero? Do you remember what it was? He grabbed the sword when Jesus was arrested and he cut off somebody's ear. He's lucky he didn't die right there. I mean, probably very little threat. And look at the presence that, that Herod is putting around him. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but catch this last phrase. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Bad things happen to God's people. You can bank on it. It's a reality it's a truth. Jesus talked about it at the end of the Sermon on the Mountain. He told that parable, the wise man who built his house upon the sand. We studied it just three weeks ago. The foolish man, or the wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. What happened to both individuals? The storms of life came. Bad things happen to God's people. Maybe you're sitting there today saying, why does that, that shady businessman seem to thrive? But the honest, by-the-book Christian businessman struggles and endures failure. You're saying that's not fair. You may say, why does that reckless, promiscuous girl have the opportunity and choose to abort child after child after child? And that prayerful Christian couple that's been praying for a baby for years can't get pregnant. You'd look at that and say, that's not fair. Why do godly parents endure a family full of prodigals and at the same time the child of non-Christians rises up and goes to Bible college or seminary and is used by God as an instrument to change their world for Christ? You look at that and you say, that's not fair. You look at that and say, bad things are happening to God's people and I don't like it. Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news along these lines. The bad news is that's a reality of life. Bad things happen to God's people. The good news is if, if you can look at it from this perspective is it's all part of God's plan because God's in control. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering 
as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, catch this, rejoice, let me say it again, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I love how he ends this little paragraph. He says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. A truth of life is that bad things happen to God's people. There's a second truth that I want you to see, and it's pretty obvious. God is in control even when bad things happen to God's people. Uh, the power of prayer is great because God is in control. The power of prayer is great because God is in control. Let me go back to that phrase in verse 5. The church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. Peter's arrested, they throw him in prison, and the church, they're on their hands, they're on their knees, and they are praying earnestly for him. Let's read on in our account. Verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared. A light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. How would that be, an angel striking you on the side? Woke him up and said, quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. Now Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Don't forget, Peter just had a big vision in Acts chapter 10. The vision that the gospel, the good news, is for everyone. So he's thinking he's having another vision here. They passed the first and second guards. They came to the iron gates leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they walked through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Power of prayer is great because God is in control. Um, when's the last time that you prayed a prayer? And you knew God was going to answer that prayer. We had a, a, a living illustration take place last Sunday morning and all through this week. Last Sunday morning, Ernie got up during welcome time. And he prayed for Mandy and her husband and the pregnancy. And they're with us today. How many of you thought that it would be possible that they'd be with us today? How many of you prayed that prayer saying, God, I know you're going to answer that prayer. The power of prayer is great. And yet I think for many of us, sometimes we struggle to truly embrace that truth. The power of prayer is great. Um, I have friends that have started Facebook prayer pages, and every day they'll give you an update about something that you want to pray for. And i got to be honest with you, the temptation at times, the temptation is to think, you know, I, I prayed that prayer two days ago. I prayed that prayer two weeks ago. Does prayer really matter? The power of prayer is great. So let me just interject right now, right here. We talked about this two weeks ago, the whole prayer concept, the whole prayer idea. If you're praying that your child or your parent or your coworker or your neighbor or your teammate will come to Christ, don't stop 
praying that prayer. Even when it looks like the, 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 the fruit is not being developed, even when you wonder, am I making a difference? Don't stop praying the prayer. The power of prayer is great. Let's read on. Verse 12 says, Now when this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, called Mark, and many people had gathered and were praying. So I just want you to see this. The, the, the people are praying, God's people are praying. Their prayer has been answered. They're in the house, the door is locked, they're praying. Peter comes to the house, knocks on the door, okay? So you would think, man, this is really awesome here. Peter knocks on the outer entrance. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Now, Peter's on the run. Peter knows that Agrippa, Herod Agrippa the first wants to kill him. Okay, he's a wanted man. So he's just kind of standing out here in this neighborhood. He's knocking on the door. The girl comes and opens the door, and she's so excited, she slams the door in his face and runs back in and says, Peter's here. Now, how's the story going to turn? There's going to be a lot of celebrating, right? Let's read on. Verse 15, you are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. They were, what's that word? Astonished. H have you ever done that before? Something happens, like maybe the Cardinals rally from 10 games down and they make the playoffs and you're just like, wow, I sure didn't think that was going to happen. They were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and he described how the Lord brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Now in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and then ordered that they be executed. This Herod Agrippa, he's not messing around, okay? He's killing James. He wants to kill Peter. He's killing his own soldiers. You mess up, you're dead. It's over. That's all she wrote. Ruthless, ruthless guy. Here's the third thing that I want you to see. Belief in the power of God should be constant because God is in control. Belief in God's power should be constant because God is in control. This is where this passage of Scripture, I'll just be truthful with you, it's kind of in my face at times. And if we're being honest, it's kind of in your face at times as well. Because we've all been guilty of saying, God, you're in control. God, I'm going to pray that this will happen. And if we're being honest, we don't think there's any way in the world that's going to happen. And you know what? I mean, the reality is sometimes it doesn't happen like we want it to. My church in Mawequa in 1994, the, the, the preacher that we worked with at the time, you know, a guy that was probably my first real full-time mentor in many ways, a guy named Terry Maurer, had a heart transplant, he got sick. Man, we fasted. We, we had a sanctuary a little smaller than this, but kind of like this, and we gathered together, you know, once a week. We'd have the choir sing some songs, and then we'd just pray. We'd just pray for Terry. And, you know, he got sicker and sicker sicker and on october 28 1994 he died 
I still remember making the telephone call to the funeral home director, Dallas Seitz, good friend. And I said, Dallas, you know, you're not going to believe this, but Terry died. And just on the other end, he's like, really? He didn't win this battle? He didn't overcome? You, really? I just, just disbelief on the other end of the, from a funeral home director. But here's the truth in that whole matter, in that whole deal. What I would say is that he wasn't cured, but I believe without a doubt he was healed. But I want to just challenge you today. Do you believe in God's power? Do you believe God is in control? Because guess what? These first century Christians, I'm not sure they really believed. I'm, I'm not sure they did. They're hanging out behind closed doors. They're praying, God, please save Peter. Let's do a miracle. God, you know the miracle that happened in Acts chapter 4? We healed that, that guy that was crippled. You know the, the miracles that Jesus did? We need a really big one this time. Let him get miraculously released from prison. And all God's people said amen. And they're doing all of that. And Peter's at the door knocking. And the servant girl comes in and says, Peter's out there. And what are they doing? They're saying, it's just a ghost. It's just a vision. When they finally see him, their first reaction wasn't to praise the Lord and say, wow, you answered our prayer. What's it say? They were astonished. They couldn't believe it. So catch this morning that belief in God's power should be a constant. Well, let's wrap this chapter up. Fourth thing I want you to see this morning is this. When all is said and done, Acts 12 shows us that God truly is in control. Here's how the story ends. Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, stayed there for a while. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And now they joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, he's a, a, a personal servant of the king. Some translations say chamber, Chamberlain. A, a trusted servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Now on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. Listen to what they shout. They shout, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. You can say it with me. That's disgusting. That's gross. Verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and to spread. I love how this story ends. And it really is more than just the fact that he was eaten by worms and died. Although, I think that's pretty cool as well, quite honestly. Look at that. The word of God continued to spread and to increase. The next time you find yourself saying, I'm not buying that God's in control. I'm not buying that he has a plan for my life. I'm not buying that I can make it in this world that keeps throwing me curveballs and challenges and frustrations. I want you to remember Acts chapter 12. Because I can promise you, when James was executed and Peter was arrested, 
I guarantee you there were Christians that said, well, this is it. It's been a good ride, but we're in trouble now. James is gone. We're probably losing Peter. This Paul guy, for all we know, he might be a spy for the other side. I guarantee you there were people that were already starting to write the obituary of the first church. I guarantee it. And yet, notice this contrast. I absolutely love this contrast. At the beginning of James 12, or Acts 12, James is dead, Peter is in prison, and Herod is triumphing. He's winning. The Jews are cheering him on. You killed James. You've arrested Peter. You're the man. And look at how the chapter ends. Herod is dead. Peter is free. And I, I, I love this. The word of God is winning. The word of God is triumphing. There's a, a short verse in the Bible that you should memorize. It should be one of those life verses for you. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. It simply says, we live by faith, not by sight. Confession, I want to live by sight. I want to be in control. I want to be the man. I want to have a plan. I want to be in control. And 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us, we live by faith, not by sight. And so the bottom line really is this. The proud will pay their price eventually. And the godly will receive their reward because the Lord is in control. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for how you bless our lives. I thank you for the difference that, that being a follower of Jesus makes in my life and in our lives. And so this morning, Father, as we read this great chapter, this great narrative, we are reminded that you are in control. And yet I realize that right now, in our midst, we have people that are, they're struggling. They're probably here today because they're struggling. And they're wondering, are you in control? Do you have a plan? And so, Father, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to, to each person that's with us today that's struggling. That they would realize that, that you are in control, that you have a plan. But no matter how the story ends, if we follow Jesus, we win. We will know hope. Thanks for blessing us. Thanks for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a constant reminder that God is in control. And so that's our plea for your life is that God is in control of your life. Not just on Sunday morning or not just when you're here at church, but that God is in control of your life seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This invitation is for you as we stand together and sing.
Thank you so much. You may be seated. I'm going to ask those who are going on the Haiti trip to go ahead and make their way forward, if they would, please. Again, we want to remind you, it's hard to believe, but we are leaving Thursday. We will fly to Chicago, and we will meet up with the other group in Chicago, and then from there, we will go to Haiti. And so we're just excited about what God is doing. This, this week, this year, go ahead, come on up. This year, there will be 15 that are actually from First Christian Church. Another five or six will be joining our group in Chicago. And then when we meet in Miami, there will be 44 of us in Miami. And so we have a big group, and we're just excited about what God is doing, not in Clinton, Illinois, but also throughout the world. Won't you show your appreciation for those who are going? And so, again, we want to say thank you for all of your donations, for those who have, that have continued to pray for us and for those who will pray this week for us. The names of those who will be going will be listed in the K this week, so you can pray specifically by name. I've asked Greg to close us out in prayer today and pray for the Haiti trip as well. All right. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day, and I, I just thank you for the people that stand before us. And for those that couldn't be with us during this service but are also going on the Haiti trip. And I just pray that you bless them. I pray that they stay healthy and that as they go on this trip that you'll just change their world in a great and mighty way. And that this trip will, will strengthen their faith and help them understand even more that, that you're a God of Americans but you're a God of Haitians. You're a God of Africans um, and, and that you have a passion that all men and all women and all children would know you. And know your son Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so through this next week, I just pray that um, these men and women that stand before me, that they'll be your hands and your feet. And that as they go to Port-au-Prince and other parts of Haiti, that they will go there and they will serve. Um, obviously representing First Christian Church of Clinton, but most importantly, representing your kingdom. Thank you for the difference that we can make when we step outside our comfort zone. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Have a great day. Okay, so we'll do the same thing at the end.